with two, uh, two music stands. Thanks, you guys, for trying to grab those for me. I appreciate it. Now, this last weekend, I got the privilege to, to play, for me, a unique role in a wedding. And uh, at, at this point in my life, I'm not sure exactly how many weddings that I have uh, officiated, but I think it's, it, it's getting near to 100, uh, which, is, which is pretty pretty awesome thing to be a part of. You know, wedding is like this day that is uh, a monumental day in somebody's life, both in their kind of uh, relationships here on this earth, but it's also monumental in a relationship with God. And so it's such an awesome thing to be a part of. And uh, But God blessed me with five sons, as a lot of you know. And so I didn't know if I'd ever get the chance to, to walk down the aisle. Uh, and this last weekend, I got that chance to walk down the, the aisle with a daughter and, uh, and Shada got married this last week. And how many of you guys know Shada? And it was, it was so awesome. Such a beautiful uh, story of redemption from, through her life. But uh, Shada's parents were both murdered when she was young. And, uh, and so she, she asked me if I, would, if I would walk her down the aisle, kind of as a, a spiritual father. And in it, uh, it's just such an awesome thing to be a part of. And I, and I knew... And I said to her, and I knew this before God, that I wasn't there to, to stand in the place of an earthly father, that God had allowed me the opportunity in her life, and even on that day, to represent who he is, uh, and to be kind of the earthly declaration or the, the kind of finite declaration of who God is to her infinitely. And, uh, and so it's such an awesome thing. And that, that opportunity that God gives us, and it's, it's not just manifest on a wedding day, but it's... It's something that every day God wants to include us into his work. God wants to allow each one of us to be an earthly representation to everybody around us of who he is uh, eternally or heavenly. And, and the chance to be a part of that, I'm telling you, is the most remarkable thing. But it starts with us having to live a, a holistic, centered Christ life. And, uh, and if, if we don't live our lives, it's like Christ at the center of it and everything turned over to him. It's like we void the opportunity that God wants to use us to kind of manifest his glory or to be like his hands and feet to other people. And in that, we end up living selfish and broken, fragmented and fractured lives. And you would think that if you live your life for yourself, it would be better in the end, you know, because you just go around all the time looking after your own needs. And you would think that that would result in the greatest outcome, right? Because you're spending your most, the most of your attention, the most of your effort looking after yourself. But somehow we live in a, a world that, that God has established a, a, a paradox in it. That is, somehow when you look after yourself and when you live your life to look after yourself, all that you find is brokenness and heartache and bondage. But if we engage with Christ and we live our lives for Christ, we end up with a heart that is broken for other people. And in that, we actually find the greatest identity for ourselves. And so it's such a beautiful thing. It's this progression that I see in the life of David throughout the Old Testament. And, uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about his life and, and not just kind of looking back on his life, but allowing his life to be like a lens through which we might also look at our own lives and see, does God want to move us from a place of, of living a fractured, broken, maybe selfish life 
into living a Christ-centered life, a life that's uninterrupted, a life that isn't um, segmented or, or fractured or fragmented off. And so, uh, so I want to lead us down that journey. Uh, I'm going to just give you a little bit of background on the story of David. I know probably a lot of you know his story. And uh, we're not going to take the time to read this through, through the Word of God, so I'm just going to paraphrase it just a little bit, and then we'll kind of catch up with it at the very end. Okay? So David was, was really kind of a neglected uh, or, or kind of passed over child uh, in that he had quite a few older brothers, uh, and so he was kind of the runt of the litter. And so, so even when the prophet came to anoint the next king and came to his house, his dad didn't even invite him to the party. And so this is kind of the childhood that, that David was raised in, that was he found this place of dependency on God that was, that was in the place of, of kind of facing like not great earthly circumstances. And out of that, God chose him. And God chose him to be not just a leader in his family, but to be the leader of a nation, to actually be the leader of his people. And so, so God kind of led him on this journey that, that, that caused him to live a life of dependency that resulted in him being king over all of Israel. And there's so many things that David did right through his life, kind of growing up. But once he got to be king, and if we pick up the story in, in 2, 2 Samuel, uh, it, it, it talks about how when, the, when it was time for the kings to go out to war, David found himself in his palace. And he had sent Joab out to war instead. And so there's this declaration from the very beginning of this part of the story that is David had an assignment from God. And he had a responsibility before God to follow through with who God had made him to be. But instead, he had kind of said, oh, I'll let somebody else take care of that. And, and I don't really want to go out to war right now. I, I just want to stay in the palace. And so he's in the palace and he goes up to the roof. And as, as he's on the roof he sees uh, a young lady bathing uh, on, on her rooftop. And he's filled with, with lust and desire for her. So he sends for her and he finds out this is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. One of his mighty men. One of the guys who really spent his life defending David. And it was his wife. But he was so filled with passion and filled with lust at that point that he said, now bring her to me. And so, so as the king, he had a, a sovereign or a, a powerful um, act that was, I, I, I'm going to take advantage of any woman that's underneath of my care. And so, so he sent for her, and it says he slept with her, and then he sent her away. And, and she became pregnant out of that. And so you can imagine, he's, he's now done the thing that is kind of in disobedience to God, but thinking, oh, maybe I'll just get away with it, and she'll never talk about it, but now she's pregnant. So now he's left in the same spot that I've been in. I'm sure you guys have been there where you did the wrong thing, and you hoped that nobody would ever find out about it, but now it's like kind of catching up to you. And so, so David, in this spot, instead of deciding, man, I'm just going to confess before God that I've done the wrong thing, and I'm just going to repent, I'm going to humble myself, he decides to, to add to his transgression. And so so he says, oh, like bring, bring Uriah the Hittite back from the battlefield. And, and he decides to try and cover over his sin. And so Uriah comes back and he, he says, Uriah, give me a, a report on what's happened in the battlefield. So he gives him a report. And he says, okay, now go home and enjoy your night. And then you can go back out to the battlefield tomorrow. And instead of going back and sleeping with his wife and spending a, a, a night in comfort, Uriah sleeps at the gates of the palace. 
And he wakes up the next day and David calls for him and he's like, why didn't you go home to your wife? And he said, no, all of my men and all of, all of the people uh, that are fighting for what I believe in, they didn't have a night of comfort. They didn't get to sleep, sleep with their wives. And so I'm not going to do that either. And so he says, I, I, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, O king, I, I will not go and visit my wife or I, and I will not go find comfort in my own house. So David is, is now like in the spot again where it's like, man, this, this thing is like, it, it's going to come out. It's catching up to me. So he says, well, just stay one more night then. And so he talks to Uriah into staying one more night instead of going back with his troops. And, and he, says, he says, just stay one more night and then you can go back. And throughout the course of that evening, he gets him drunk. And he thinks, man, if I just get him drunk, you know, like I'll, I'll increase his, his like, uh, sexual desire and I'll decrease his judgment. And those of you guys who have been, been drunk, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, uh, so he's like, this will surely work. But it doesn't. And Uriah stays faithful to God and doesn't go and visit his wife. Instead, he just sleeps at the palace gate. And so, so David's like, well, if that didn't work, nothing's going to work. So now I've got to go further to cover up my, my broken life. I've got to go further to cover, cover up this fracture. And so what he decides is he says, I, I'll send Uriah back out to the battle. And I'm going to send him into sure death. And so he has Uriah carry a note with him. He says, I want you to, uh, he seals it and he says, I want you to give this to Joab, the commander of the armies. And I want you to, to, to hand deliver this to him. And what the letter says is it says, when you're in the middle of the battle, when everything is raging around you, I want you to send Uriah the Hittite to the front. Send him to lead the troops. And as soon as it gets really, really hectic, then I want you to withdraw everybody from him and make sure that he dies out there. And he delivers that message himself. And so now Joab is, is charged with doing exactly what the king says. And so, so he does exactly what the king says. Uriah dies. He sends back word. And he says, says to the king, you, you asked me to do this, and I did exactly what you've asked. And, and so now, you, now David is in a spot where he's like, man, I, I think I've covered over my first sin. Uh, and so that now nobody will find out. And even though... I went from just adultery to murder. At least it's covered and at least it's hidden. And then Nathan the prophet comes and he speaks to David. And he tells him a parable. He says, he says imagine a, a poor man who just has one sheep. And that's all that he has. And he raises it and he cares for it. And he treats it almost like a child. And it's like so precious to him. But there's a rich man who has... Really, all of these sheep, like herds and herds of sheep. And there's a traveler who comes along and, and visits the rich man and asks him for a sheep. But instead of bringing out one of his, he brings out, he goes and, and steals the sheep from the poor man. He says, what do you think should be done to that traveler? Nathan, the prophet, says to him. He says, that man deserves death, sure death. And on top of that, he should have to pay back four times over for everything he stole. And then this is the words that come from Nathan. It says, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are that rich man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. 
I gave all of Israel and all of Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given even more, God says. So why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And so God outs David. And now his sin is caught up to him. And he realizes that even though he's declared to be the king over all of Israel, even though he's proclaimed to be a follower of God, he's allowed his life to be broken. Because there were areas where he said, God, you're not going to come into this part of my life anymore. And all of a sudden now it's caught up with him. Can you imagine like the, the shock, the, the horror of being exposed? If you're in David's spot. I'd imagine if you're anything like me, there's been times in your life, maybe even right now, where you think, man, if, if the worst that I've done was ever to be exposed, man, it would be such shock and horror. So you can imagine what it would have been like for David, right? Now, I want you to hear, and this is David's like, short response, but I want to spend a lot more time like, looking at his longer response, which is in Psalm 51. But this is what he says here in this passage. He says, Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. His recognition of I've done the wrong thing is the beginning to God restoring his life. Okay, So turn with me to Psalm 51 if you've got that uh, with you. Otherwise, it'll be up here on the screen as well. Psalm 51 is this. Is really it's a poem that's written by David. That's declaring like kind of everything that's going on inside of him. And I believe that this. This progression leads us from having a broken or fractured life into having a fruitful life. And, and this, is, this is where, I, just coming into tonight, that I just believe that God wants to eliminate fractured lives. And in it, He wants to lead us into a fractured heart instead of a fractured life, and then eventually into fruitfulness. And so this is kind of the progression and how it goes. And I want to tie this together with story of a young man by the name of Brandon. I met Brandon as a freshman. He was on the soccer team here at UCA. He graduated, I think, just two years ago. And uh, when I, Brandon was one of these guys, like, he kind of had it all together. Like, he was a, a, an amazing athlete. I mean, he was, he was, I mean, he was just built, too, you know? Like, he's just, like, you know, got the V body shape. He's just, like, super good-looking guy, athlete. He's intelligent. He was a, a pre-med major. Like he, you know, when it comes to the, the giftings and the talents and everything like that, like it was unfair, everything that he got. You know, like it was like he was just one of those one of those people that had it all together. And so I remember meeting Brandon for, for the first time when he came came to play soccer here. And I sat down and had lunch with him in the in the cafeteria and I just began to talk to him about his life and he began to ask me questions about my life and and he just began to share kind of like, no, this is my plan, and I've, I've, got, I've got my life kind of sorted out, and, and, and everything's in order now, and I'm going to play soccer, and I'm going to get a pre-med degree, and I'm going to be a doctor. And, like, and, and even on the religion side of things, he had everything sorted out. He had it all figured out. And so he's like saying, no, I was raised uh, in, in this denomination with this religion, and so uh, no, I do that on Sundays, and so I've, I've, I'm, I basically, I've got it all figured out. And I remember just sitting there talking with him and, and, and feeling like I could see through all of the surface stuff to the fact that inside of there, there was still great desire. And, uh, but 
all of his life was so beautiful and so ordered that, ordered that I was just like, God, I don't, I don't know if this guy will ever really know you because uh, what he sees now is kind of like this ordered life. And, and so I just began to pray, God, like, will you intervene? Uh, because at that point, Brandon really wanted nothing to do with the Jesus that I was talking about. The one that was the, the one that says to lay down your life and lay down your aspirations and plans. Brandon really didn't want anything to do with that Jesus. So I just began to pray for Brandon. So the story of David continues like this. And, and this is kind of the elongated response that was, I've sinned against you. So he says it like this. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He starts off with this thing that is, God, I deserve every punishment that you would give me. But if there's any way possible, can you erase all of that? Can you just get rid of all of that junk? Like I have so much regret, but can you just blot it out? Is there anybody that can identify with that, with that response right there that is, God, if there's just any way to get rid of all of my mess, would you take care of it for me? Is there anybody other than me? Man, I identify with that for sure. He says, wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You know, there was a point in David's life where, where he was trying to ignore all of his transgressions and just thinking, if I just ignore them, they'll just go away. If I could just cover them up good enough, nobody, nobody will ever know. And it's almost like he had convinced himself that God wouldn't know either. I think sometimes we get in that spot where we just think, man, if I can just, I'll just keep on going to Chi Alpha on Monday night. Or I'll just keep on going to church on Sunday. And, and even like, I'll, I'll live this life around these people. But, but man, if I could just put this over here, like, if I could just... Not think about my relationship with my girlfriend and our impurity while I'm at those places. Maybe it'll just go away. Or maybe if I, if I just kind of just live my life for God on Sundays or on Mondays, maybe then I don't have to make big decisions about my future and my pursuit after wealth and fame. And so he says it like this. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always in front of me. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. See, David declares that it's not just about one mistake that I made or two mistakes that I made. He declares it like this. He says, actually, it's, it goes all the way back to my birth. And I recognize that there is something inside of me that, that wants what is not what you want, God. And that's the stuff that I want to get rid of. I want to get rid of the desires uh, that displease you so I can live my life to please you. You know, a fractured life is a life that compartmentalizes God and says, God... I invite you into this part of my being, this part of my schedule, uh, this part of my week, this part of my future plans. These relationships, I invite you into those, but not into these. God, you can have everything, but don't touch my bank account. A fractured life is a compartmentalized life. And 
And when we live a fractured life, we'll end up being broken by it. And God wants to give us something that is so much better than a fractured life. He wants to give us wholeness and restoration. And my plea or my, my hope for you tonight is that before it gets bad, would you consider turning more and more areas of your life over to God? And not living a fractured life for Jesus, but living a centered life. That is, Jesus, I want you to part a part of everything that I do. Every decision that I make, every moment of my day, I don't want to live a fractured life. I want to live a whole life. In fact, even along those lines, I just want to take a moment. And would, can we just pray together? And would, would each one of you that would desire to respond to this tonight? And I, I'm going to be doing a little bit more preaching on this. But before we go any further, I, I believe that God wants to identify like places that kind of have been sequestered from him or, or things that maybe are being ignored at the moment. And I'm just going to ask the Lord for conviction, okay? Uh, and what conviction is, is, is conviction is not guilt, okay? It's not the same thing as guilt. And so it's not a matter of like, now you need to feel bad about something uh, so, that, so you can stay in that place. Uh, conviction is God showing you everything that separates you from him. And so David ends up praying this prayer, and I think it's in Psalm 123, I think it is, where he says, Search me and know my heart, O God. Search me and know my heart, O God, and see if there is any wicked or offensive way inside of me. And then lead me, God, in the everlasting. And so I want to stop right now, and if you would be courageous enough to pray that prayer, I believe that God will begin to reveal things that are like... you. You don't let me into this area of, of, of your life. And in that, you are despising me. And just like it was said through the prophet Nathan, that God would say over you, I've given you everything. Everything that you have and all that you are. Like, I've formed you and I made you. I've, I've given you every opportunity that you've ever had. And even if that's not enough, I would have given you more and more and more. And yet in this area, you decided to despise me. And that God wants to bring a conviction so that that can be brought back to him. Is there anybody that would be courageous, to, courageous enough to pray that prayer with me tonight? That is, God, will you please search me and know my heart? If, if you are, would you just stand to your feet and we're just going to pray, pray to God together. I'm going to pray this out loud, but please pray your own prayer. Uh, I believe that something happens when we form words in our mouth that, that sets direction for our lives. And so, so, God, I now say before you, for me, God, will you search me and know my heart, God? God, you know everything that I have done, everything that I am doing. And God, I, I just want to say before you, I want to do everything to honor you. And so please show me any area of my life that brings dishonor to you. Show me any area of my life that I'm, I'm kind of keeping away from you or restricting you from. God, show me every place that I'm ignoring you. And I'm just carrying on with my own path and hoping that nobody else knows about it. Nobody else finds out about it. And even almost like acting like you don't know about it. God, would you bring conviction to my heart? 
God, and I ask that over this whole place that you would bring a conviction over every single heart that's choosing to say, God, search me. Bring your conviction. Show us what separates us from you. And now, God, we're going to listen. Thank you, Lord. There's a promise in the New Testament that says if we ask anything according to God's will, He hears us and He'll answer that prayer. And we've asked something that's very distinctly in line with the will of God, that God always wants to show us things that separate us from Him. Like, that's never a thing of like, man, God, uh, like if, if, if you think it's okay, show me this. Like, God's always like, yeah, I, want, I always want to show you. Because God wants to be near to us. And so we've prayed a very righteous prayer. And if you prayed it with, with integrity, God, God has revealed something to you. I, I, I just believe enough in the scripture and, and in the word of God to know that like, he is faithful to that. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. That there, there, there's, there should be at least one thing. Uh, and, and probably if you're really listening, God might even show you more than one thing. And so would you take time right now, and I'm just going to give you a moment to write it down or to, to type it into your phone or something like that, just to be like, and, and just to, to maybe even write it like this. It is like, God, I see where I've sinned against you in this area, okay? So I'm just going to give you guys a little bit of time to do that. If there's multiple things, then write down multiple things. I want to encourage you, don't, don't choose to justify anything. There's a, there's a temptation here that, that hit David, that is here right now, that is like there, there's some wrestling that's going on in, inside of some people's minds. It's like it's trying to justify actions. So I just speak against that in Jesus' name. I know that there's a lot of very, like, like just like David said, humility and like brokenness. It's like, God, like I've, I've done this. But there's also some justification. And so I just speak against that in Jesus' name.
Don't, don't justify. God's just trying to say, just come near to me, okay? So I prayed this, I prayed, prayed this prayer for Brandon uh, that, that was, God, uh, will you show him his need for you? Will you bring conviction in his life? And if you want to know a, a good prayer to pray for somebody that you really care about and you really want to know God, uh, pray, pray for God's conviction. Uh, pray that they will see their need for God. Because it's not that anybody on this, in this planet, no matter how gifted or talented or good looking or, or how sorted out they are, everybody needs God. Uh, everybody needs God. And so God is always wanting to reveal their need for Him. And so I begin to pray that prayer uh, for Brandon. And, uh, and it was about a year later that... Brandon started coming around a little bit, and he came to D group, and, and he just began to ask questions. And I, I could see like the things were stirring inside of him now, and like it was like he was seeing, man, I, I've I've got this going on, I've got this going on, but there's something that's still lacking in my life. So Brandon started asking questions, and uh, and and to start off with, they were they were pretty academic questions, but as we started walking through Scripture together and and just finding answers in the Word of God, I just watched this softening of Brandon's heart that was like God was taking what was very fallow ground and kind of hardness inside of him. He was just breaking it up. And like, and, and as we started going through questions, we started coming to very like uh, uh, definitive answers from the Word of God. Uh, Brandon started like really like kind of confessing some things from his past and like being open and honest about like even his relationship with his dad, his childhood and stuff like that. And, and I saw in it that God was taking what was a fractured life and he was replacing it with a fractured heart. With a heart that was broken uh, about who he was and who he wasn't, uh, about things he'd been through, uh, that was broken over the fact that in all of his best efforts, he still couldn't do what, what he really wanted to do. And so, so it was replaced with a broken heart. And, and I believe that God wants to to replace fractured lives tonight with fractured hearts. And, and not in the, in the sense of, man, so that we can go around moping and weeping all the time, like, but so that we're tender, okay? There's a cultivation that happens when the Spirit of God comes in and starts to convict. That is, God is preparing you for something, and He's breaking up what is hard and like the unforgiveness and even... A fractured life is normally marked by a judgmental spirit because it's, it's always wanting to look outward at, at what other people are doing wrong rather than being humble and saying, I see what I'm doing wrong. And so do you hear this in the life of David? That he's went from the place of being judgmental of others to saying, God, my transgressions are always in front of me. Like, please, God, like... I, I see how I've done all this stuff wrong, and, and please have mercy on me, O oh God. And so he goes from having a fractured life to having a fractured heart. So it says, um, <coughs> Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. It says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You see his declaration? With all that you've given me, God, this is all I have to give back to you. It's just a broken heart. But it says that, that you will never turn away. God will never turn away a humble and broken heart. The moment we get to the place, whether it's kind of beforehand, where it's like we're just living our lives for ourselves, or even after we first come to Christ, if we get back to the place that is, oh, I've got it figured out now, and we stop keeping our transgressions in front of us and and remembering, God, without you, I know exactly who I'd be. When we stand before God, this has to be our declaration. The only thing, God, I have to give back to you is a broken and contrite heart. And when we do that, God cultivates like a tenderness inside of us. And he cultivates a love for him. And he's able to express his love to us in a way that is like so experiential and so awesome. And I watched this happen with Brandon. I watched his heart be broken. And I watched him like to begin to come alive. And like all of a sudden, like the seed of the word of God, like was falling like deep into the soil of his heart. And like, and he would come to D group, you guys, and like, we would, we would just start talking about the Lord and like going through scripture and like, and he'd, he'd pull out pieces of paper and he'd just like, he'd just like being a mad, you know, scribble, like just writing stuff down one after another. And I'm like, and, and like he'd, he'd, he, even after D group would be over, he'd be over there sitting there just writing. I'd be like, Brandon, what are you doing? And he's like, he's like, man, there's just so much truth. And like, God's just like so alive to me. Like, I just want to make sure I don't forget any of this stuff. And he was just like writing stuff down. You remember it, Quinn? I mean, wasn't it so beautiful to see like his heart tenderize to the things of God? And it's, again, it's not that this kid didn't have a lot going for him on this earth. But still, the brokenness that was created out of a humility before God resulted in such a new life coming inside of him. And so he went from a fractured life to a tender and fractured heart. And all of this religious stuff, and, and his testimony would be something like this, that, man, I knew how to do all of the religious things, but I never really experienced God. And that's really what David's saying here when he says, like, if, if you delighted God in burnt offerings and sacrifices, I would bring those things. If, if it was really about just standing here on a Monday night and singing a song and sitting here and listening to somebody speak, I would do that, but that's not really what you're into, God. If it was really just about attending church on every Sunday or even just really about just reading my Bible every day, I would do that. But I realize that you want more than all of that. None of that stuff really matters to you. Here's what matters to you, that I would humble myself before you, that I would respond to you with tenderness and brokenness. And this is what I believe. I believe that any time we really have revelation of the fractures in our life, it does produce a brokenness inside of us. And so my second prayer for you tonight, the first one was conviction. My second prayer for you tonight, if you would, 
if you would allow the Lord to do this, my second prayer is that God would break your heart. And that we really would be broken over, like, God, I realize that I've hurt you. Not just that this has hurt me, but I realize that I've hurt you. And the way that David says it, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned, O Lord, and done what is evil in your sight. It's not like he's just saying, God, I'm sorry for the consequences here on this earth. He says, the consequences on this earth are nothing to me. What I'm really messed up about is that broken relationship with you. And so don't, don't you hear his cries in this when he says, like, God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Take, take my kingdom, take everything away from me. But please, God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Is that a prayer that you would like to have prayed over your life, that your heart would be broken for the ways that you've broken God's heart? If it is, just raise your hand. I'm just going to pray that over us. So, Father God, I pray now, not just for the the revelation of, of where we've segmented you out of our lives, but, God, for a humility that produces a brokenness. God, I just declare over everybody in this place, you will no longer fear consequences like you fear breaking relationship with God. Don't do the right thing, God says, because you fear what will happen to you. Do the right thing because you want to be near to me. And you fear being separated from me. God, will you let everybody in this room feel the gravity of separation from you that makes their hearts long to be made right? God, please let us feel that. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. So, Brandon, like I said, started coming alive in Christ. And as he did, I watched his concern turn from himself. And that, that first time that I met Brandon, his life was about himself. It was like, I've got these plans, and I want to do this thing and this thing. But I watched as Brandon's heart began to turn from himself. And, and through turning to Christ he began to focus on others. And so now all of a sudden his, his role on the soccer team was not about trying to get the most playing time that he could. It was about, about trying to be the best friend to all the guys that he could possibly be. And he began, his heart began to break, not just for separation from God, but his heart began to break for other people. And this is what I want to declare to you, and I believe that this is shown all throughout Scripture, but certainly in the life of David is that unless your heart breaks for other people, you don't really have Christ residing inside of your heart. Unless you look around and you see people with compassion and you're like, man, like, oh, I just hurt with them. I hurt for them. If, if you walk through your life and you're constantly getting offended at people around you because they're not doing the right thing to you, you do not have Christ as the center of your life yet. And it's not that you won't, it's just that you don't. But if you go around and, and when people do things that, that would normally offend you, and all of a sudden you just feel like this compassion that's like, man, I hurt because I know that they're hurting. Not, I want to hurt them because they hurt me, but I hurt because I know they're hurting. Then you know that you have the Spirit of Christ inside of you. So that's why David says it like this. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Once, once I'm in the spot where I can be healthy before you, God, then, then quickly 
let my eyes turn to others because I want other people to know you the way I know you. I know that other people have fragmented and broken lives. I know other people are living fractured. And so God, break my heart for other people. And this is where God takes what was once fallow ground that he turned into plowed ground and he allows it to be fruitful ground. I remember uh, Brandon began to pray for his roommate and uh, like just like he'd come to D group and, and we pray together and he was praying on his own. Like I'd meet with him one on one. He's like praying for his roommate. And uh, and so one night it went down like this and, and uh, Brandon was is was in his room and uh, and Dylan, his roommate, told the story because uh, Dylan came to D group that next week. Uh, but Dylan told the story like this. He was like, he's like, yeah, I like to, you know, like I like to try and scare Brandon, you know. So like he's like, so I went into his room one night. Uh, and, uh, and so he was, he was in the bathroom getting ready to go to bed. And so I went in his room, I snuck into his closet and I was going to wait until he turned off his lights and, you know, got in his bed. I was just going to scare him, just like scare him out of his wits, you know? And, uh, and he's like, so I'm sitting in his closet and Brandon comes in and like, and he sits down at his desk and I'm kind of looking at him through through his closet. He sits down at his desk, he pulls out his Bible and and like, and I'm like, well, I can't scare him while I was reading his Bible, you know? So like, so he's like, I'm just going to wait, you know, until he's done. And he opens up his Bible and he starts reading his Bible out loud. And like, and he just like keeps on reading his Bible out loud, like the whole time, just reading it out loud. And I'm like, I'm just sitting in there, you know, just waiting, you know, it's uncomfortable. I'm, you know, like cowering in the closet and, and like, he just keeps on reading his Bible, like not just for like, a little bit, like not a paragraph or two. He just keeps on reading and reading. And pretty soon, it's like a half an hour later. And I'm, I'm stuck in the closet, like just like listening to the word of God being read. He's like, and so finally, I'm like, Brandon, I'm in their closet, man. Like, you know, he comes out like. And, but what he says, what Dylan says is all of the words that Brandon was reading were exactly about my life. And so that's why I'm here tonight is because like there was something in that word that was being spoken through Brandon's lips that was for me. And so I've realized that my life is broken and it needs fixing. And do you see now what had happened inside of Brandon's life had now been produced through Brandon's life and that he had become broken for somebody else. And in that this passing on of the kingdom had happened through him and God had used him now to impact his his roommate's life and so Dylan ended up committing his life to Christ and coming alive in Christ too and 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 I, you know I talked to Brandon and I was like so you know do you always read your Bible out loud he's like no I normally just read it but he's like that night I don't know what it was he's just like I just felt like I'm just gonna read my Bible out loud and and God just had it sorted out you know they're like because God knew, you know, your roommate's in the closet. He needs to hear my word, you know. So, like, so read your Bible out loud. Isn't that beautiful, though? Like, how God is so sovereign. He's so, like, wonderful. That when we ask Him to be a part of His work, and if we have a heart for others, God will actually use us to redeem others. And we can stand in the place. And this is what happened with Brandon. We can stand in the place of representing God to somebody else and leading them into freedom. And so our lives go from being fractured to being fruitful. God takes all of the fallow ground, all the hardness in our hearts, and he cultivates it. And it, you know, it hurts a little bit. 
But God's just trying to break up all of that bitterness and resentment. He's trying to break up all of that, like all those like compartments and walls that we've built up to protect ourselves. He's just trying to break all that stuff up so he can plant the word inside of us and so it can spring forth and bring life to us and life through us. And this is the redemption of the story of David too. David, David even though he sins greatly, God ends up bringing his son Jesus through the line of David. And you know that out of all the wives and all the sons that David has, Jesus comes through the line of Bathsheba. And that's the beauty of all of this, is that God doesn't work around all of our sin and all of our like, failings. God works through them. God could have chosen any pathway to bring about his son to this earth. But the genealogical pathway that he chooses is through the sin of David. And so whatever it is that you segmented away from God, whatever it is that you wrote there, or maybe God's revealed things to you since then, whatever it is, do not remain in the place of guilt and shame. Let God take all of that and bring it to redemption. God will align his son through your sin. Do you hear me? So let's pray together. If we, also, can the worship team just come up as we pray? So Father God, I pray that you would lead us from being in a place where we're living fractured lives, God, into fruitful lives. <coughs> we break up all of the fallow ground inside of us, Lord, so that our lives can be cultivated <coughs> to receive your truth, O oh God. And Lord, over every one of us, God, I pray that you would use us and break our hearts for other people. Man, that we would not be such a self-centered generation that's constantly looking to our own needs, but instead, God, that you'd help us to look to the needs of others. Bear one another's burdens, the scripture says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God, break our hearts for how we break yours and then break our hearts for other people's brokenness. God, help us to teach transgressors your ways. And God, even as this prayer from David finishes off, he says, he says all of this um, humility, all of this redemption uh, finishes off. By, if you could just put it up there right there at the end. He says, may it please you, God, to prosper Zion. May it please you to build up the walls of Jerusalem. In everything that I've done to displease you, God, David finishes with this, but may it please you to build up Zion. May it please you to build up your people and to do it through me. And so I just declare that over, over you. That in every way that you've displeased God, allow it to be turned around to where you say before God, God, may it please you to build up your people through me. Zion is meant to be the people of God that declare who God is to the rest of the world. And that's how God wants to use you. It doesn't happen through judgment. It happens through humility. It doesn't happen by having it all together. It happens through humility and brokenness. So may it please you to prosper Zion, oh God. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.